This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and this week I'm not flying solo. Finally, for the first time in a month, I am joined once again by my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing, whose Section Thirty One mission is over. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Chris, it's uh, great to be back. Obviously, the uh, mission was to create the palatial new Trek FM studios here in the Northwest, and uh, just couldn't let anybody know about it because we didn't want any secrets to get out on the internet there, anything like that. So it had to be done very hush-hush, but uh, it's good to be back. And and apparently flying solo, uh, Han Solo, uh, (laughs) been keeping up on the Star Wars news. Uh, there, Chris, uh, really changing the show format there while I'm gone. Goodness, uh, we went from the orb to to Star Wars news episode format. Han Solo news. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, it was helped, of course, by having the Wookiee next to me. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a good co-pilot. Uh, he, he doesn't is. say a lot. He just whines a lot about the news stories, but yeah. Yeah. No, Matthew, this is Star Trek news, Star Trek news. So let's just get into it here because we've got author Jeffrey Lang waiting on us, who's joining us today to talk about not his new book, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, Light Fantastic, but the book that sort of sets that one up, The Immortal Coil, from about 10 years ago. But before Jeffrey joins us, we have a little bit of book news to talk about here. And in fact, the first story is about Light Fantastic. Yeah, Chris, uh, just wanted to remind everybody that this did come out this week um, there on Tuesday. So it is available. So everybody go ahead and pick up your copy um, as we are talking about Immortal Coil this week. And then in a few weeks, we'll have Jeff back to talk about the Light Fantastic. Wanted to make sure everybody recognized that this was out. Go ahead and pick up your copy. Get it read so you're ready for Jeff to talk about it. In detail, we are going to spoil it rotten when uh, we talk to him. And so he wrote Immortal Coil uh, and, and set up a lot of things actually for what then David Mack did in The Cold Equations. And now Jeffrey is being able to take that characterization of data even further in the light fantastic. So I'm really excited that this has, has come about um, and this has come out. After just reading The Immortal Coil, I cannot wait to jump into the light fantastic I'm really excited at this point to see what's happened data, uh, especially after Cold Equations, Chris, which we we did uh, talk to David a couple of years ago. I mean, I can't believe it's that long ago. Time flies. It has been a it while, It really does. It? Yeah. So excited about this, ready to read it. 
Yeah, I, I understand you guys got it a few days early. I think that's what Dan told me. It dropped a few days early there in the States. Yeah, it did. Um, and so I have not gotten a chance to, to jump in yet. I was finishing the Immortal Coil, making sure that was all ready for tonight. And uh, so I'm ready to do that now. I'm super excited. I mean, again, I love the Immortal Coil. I think uh, the Light Fantastic is going to be awesome. Uh, it hopefully will live up to its name and, and be fantastic. And so really excited about that. Yeah, and Dr. Moriarty, the holographic Moriarty, is going to come into this novel here to uh, complicate Data's new life a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. I have it on my iPad. I pre-ordered it. It didn't show up until the actual drop date of Tuesday. Unfortunately, we did not get it early here in Japan in the iBook store, but I will be starting on it myself in a couple of days. And we have one more book story today, Matthew, and this one we don't have a whole lot of information about, but... At least we know that the more things change, apparently Spock and Christine Chapel are still together. Yeah, this is actually going to be really interesting. Um, you know, uh, six months after the motion picture, um, Dr. Christine Chapel and Spock are going to be saving the life of Audra Dax. And um, obviously, at this point, nobody knows that uh, she's a joint trill. And so it's going to be a really interesting thing because this mystery is at least going to be unfolded for those two characters so what an interesting collection of i think characters to put together this is one of those short e-novellas so i think it'll be a really tight story and, and and hopefully really well told i'm very excited to get to read this because i've really enjoyed the e-books um you know chris like you i, I tend to just sit down and 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 kind of read through them and maybe yeah. one sitting maybe two at most you know and so that's really fun to get uh, basically an episode of star trek right. you know in book form uh that i can just sit down and read for a couple hours and, and really enjoy a good story so i'm hoping for the best for this because two i really love this time period you know th there's so much uh time in the movie universe to play with these characters you know the movies are what, like two hours of their lives? There's five-year missions all over the place in the movie universe, uh, you know, in, in that time period. So there's so much story potential here. I think we've talked about before, Chris, I really love the movie era characters, you know, with, with where Kirk and Spock end up and, yeah. and um, Bones and all these people and who they are becoming uh, and really changing into in these films. And so... I'm excited to see more and more books be popping up in uh, the movie universe uh, era. Definitely. And this is going to be interesting to see how they handle this Dax issue, because you said a moment ago it's going to play out, at least for these two characters, because we know that the fact that Trill are a joint species seemed to have come as a surprise to people in the Federation in the 24th century. So how's that going to work? It's going to be... Interesting to see how that's handled. Well, apparently the Daxes just loved running into famous people uh, because, you know, Emony was also somebody who had experienced some, what shall we say, sexy times with Dr. McCoy. <laughs> right. He had the hands of a surgeon, apparently. He did. And so, yeah, she, uh, Dax just loves to run into to people involved uh, with the Enterprise itself. So I'm excited to see this. It'll, it's always fun to kind of see these little connections and also, for me, just kind of learning about those other Dax symbionts, you know, we got the Lives of Dax Anthology, which I thought was really fun. 
And I do enjoy seeing her other hosts throughout the year. So I'm glad that this is coming out. And this did already drop. It dropped uh, Monday, this last Monday. So be sure to check that out and pick that up and and, uh, probably be a quick read and hopefully a great read. Definitely. Well, that's all we have in news for today. Jeffrey will be joining us in just a moment. But before we get to that, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. Audible is the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. And as we tell you every week, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. And when you do that, it really helps us keep the show coming to you as well. Now, every week, because this is a Star Trek podcast, we like to recommend a Star Trek book for you to pick up. And Matthew, the book that I'm going to recommend this week is Vulcan's Forge. This is the book by Josepha Sherman and Susan Schwartz that was the story of an attempted coup on Vulcan that would have turned the planet's people away from the path of logic. And this one came to mind for me because just yesterday... I recorded a new episode of Warp 5 with Tyler Johnson and Tommy Kraft, and we were talking about Vulcans on Enterprise, and we talked a lot about how they did stray from logic for a while in the 22nd century, and there was sort of, it's not exactly a coup, but the government kind of had run amok there before they set back onto the path towards logic. Yeah, Chris, and I remember liking this book. It's been a long time since I've read it. I had it in hardback way back in the day uh, when Star Trek books used to come out in hardback. And so I, I would love to, to get a chance to, to look at this book. And, and, and of course, uh, with Audible, great opportunity just to be able to go in, pop it on your you know your phone or your any other your devices, your computer, and be able to take a listen to it while you're working out or anything like that. Definitely. And it has some special, you know, sound effects and other ambient music to it, uh, usually in these books. And I believe that this one does as well. And also this novel is narrated by Leonard Nimoy. Who better to tell you about Vulcan's Forge? And you can get it absolutely free. All you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial and you'll get this book or any other book you want absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep the book. But by trying out Audible, you'll really be helping us keep literary treks coming to you each week. It means a lot to us. And you're going to get great books, great prices, great selection every single month. And if you love podcasts, you're going to absolutely love Audible. So give them a try. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, Chris, we're really excited. We're going to be talking about a book that originally came out in February of 2002. And it is because Jeff Lang's new book, The Light Fantastic has come out this week, and we're going to be talking about The Immortal Coil, which is really the genesis of this story. It's a continuation of it, and actually, if you remember uh, last year uh, when we talked to David Mack about his Cold Equation series, um, actually, that's two years ago now, Chris. Can you believe it? Two years ago. Time flies, doesn't it? I know. Um, Was actually a follow-up to this book, The Immortal Coil, and so... We wanted to get a chance to talk about uh, The Immortal Coil before Light Fantastic. Uh, We were going to review it on the show. What we're really excited about, though, Chris, is that Jeff Lang is actually here to talk about the book with us, and he will be with us as well to talk about The Light Fantastic. So, Jeff, welcome to the show for the first time. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on, Jeff. 
I'm so excited. One, I love getting to talk to the authors. It's my favorite part of, of doing this show because it's it's basically like we've called it um, the, the DVD extras for books. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we get to pick your brain for a while about uh, uh, the creative process of writing, which for me is, is – is, I don't know if I call myself a writer. I do reviews and stuff, but it's always interesting to, to, to hear. That's writing. That counts. Yeah. It, it, it's always interesting for me to hear. But first and foremost, you know, being a show about Star Trek in the lit there, how did you find the show? Um, and, and what kind of caused you to fall in love with Star Trek? Well, we were, before we started recording, we were talking and you, Matthew, mentioned that uh, you first encountered Star Trek in the 1980s. To yes, which I yes, responded, <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm old. Um, because I, I think probably me and maybe one or two other of the guys that you've interviewed, uh, I was one of the people who encountered it first run. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, in, the, in the 60s. Yes, you can wow. do the math. I'm ancient. <laughs> um, I, but, but as you can see, beautifully well-preserved. Um, that's right. Uh in the 60s, there wasn't a lot in the way of sci-fi. I mean, some of it was classic. Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. Um, some of it was less than classic. Uh, Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, a couple of other things. I was just going to say Lost in Space when you started. Yeah, there you go. Danger, uh, I watched Robinson, that, danger. I, I, I used to wait, watch that oh, all the yeah, time. Oh, yeah, hang on. Um, I got, I've got... Um, wait, uh, here, there's my, there's my robot. Oh, nice. oh awesome. Smith. All right. Excellent. Yeah. That's and, awesome. Um, if you ever come out to Philadelphia, you can take a tour of the robot museum here in my house. Oh, okay. I fell in love with robots, um, because of lost in space and, and, uh, robot B9. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, that was, the, that was my kind of introduction to SF. And I remember very distinctly. Uh, a Friday night in my my house when my brother, my older brother, was watching this show on, well, we only had three channels back then. So, you know, three channels, one of the three channels, Friday night. <laughs> and there was some crazy shit going on. I do not, I just remember there were guys <laughs> with, with ray guns and there was some kind of a monster. I don't think it was Plato's stepchildren. We Probably not. Yeah. But some it was it, since it was Friday night on uh, uh, it was a third season episode. You know those third season episodes. They are nuts. They just are crazy. Um, and it was fascinating and terrifying. And I vividly remember hiding behind the banister of our stairway because I was I don't know I was five or six years old and it just scared the crap out of me. But I was just thrilled. And then it was canceled. Because uh, that was the last. This was summer of you know the last year of Star Trek, right. Oh, right, which meant yeah. it was gone until I was maybe twelve or thirteen years old, and that was when it first started showing up in syndication, uh, one episode a night, Monday through Friday, or whatever it was, or on the weekends, and um, that was great. Uh, it's hard for you. It, it's probably hard for people today to imagine what that must have been like because you got to see an episode a day. It would be like it would right. be like uh, binge watching, you know, Breaking Bad or right. uh, Battlestar Galactica now. But you got to actually see how the episodes built um, and the characters developed and the stories 
you know, built one upon another. It was amazing. Uh, also, I had a girlfriend who liked Star Trek, which made a lot of difference at that time in my life. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was my re or, I guess, I guess let's say reintroduction to the original series. And then, of course, the movies came out. And then, of course, TNG came out. And then, of course, Deep Space Nine came out. And there hasn't not been some kind of Star Trek ever since then. But, yeah. uh, boy, it was, it was, it, it was it, 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 I'm sure you've heard different people tell you this at one time or another. There was nothing like it until, you know, now when we live in, we wallow <laughs> Definitely. in this plenty. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, so, you know, going through, you know, you, you watch the movies and, and, um, you know, I, you've seen the other series and for you, is it, is it still the original series that's your favorite or did one of the other series that came afterwards, uh, capture you uh, as much or, uh, with the same fervor? Um, of the, of the, of the various series, I've always thought of Deep Space Nine as the, the one that was closest to my heart. Okay. Um, for for the main reason that I thought it was the most complex, um, it sort of spoke to you know my kind of beliefs in how the world really works. It's right. the darkest. Yeah, <laughs> right. Definitely. But you know, it's hard. It's hard not to be uh, um, dazzled by Kirk and Spock, and yeah. you know the fact that the the new movies seem to have been very successful. I see. I see behind you, Christopher the enterprise there on your wall and it's like that's my right. starship you know yep. that's the one that i love so i if i had to if i had to make a call i'd say someplace between deep space 9 speaks to my mind and tos speaks to my heart hmm. say let's let's go with that yeah hey, that's I'm, okay i kind of like you too because i i got into star trek when i was maybe 5 or 6 years old and i was watching it when it came back in reruns in the 70s hmm. and so there was no there was nothing but TOS for so many years mm-hmm. until I was almost out of high school and then TNG came along. And so also Deep Space Nine is my favorite series, but yet TOS has a very special place for me for a very similar reason. Yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. A question I always ask, I, I always wonder too, especially with um, those who kind of got to grow up with the original series in first run when you saw the movies, you know, what did you think? Because, uh, because, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean um, the motion picture, but, you know, once yeah, you yeah. get into two and three and four and five and six, you know, I mean, the characters uh, take on really a whole new life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so I just wonder what your impressions were, you know, when you were watching the films and seeing these characters really mature and grow and, and do some yeah. things you'd never thought that they might do. That's a great question. Uh, Christopher, you're probably old enough to remember when motion picture came out. I mean, that was like a first run experience for you. Right. Was that true for you too, Matt? No, not for me. I was actually born in 79. So, uh, okay, yep. fine, fine. So, so, so I was mind. born the year it came out, <laughs> but, uh, did you have a little baby pastel jumpsuit with a little belt to yeah, cinch yeah, it there? Yeah. Matthew? Uh, it had a huge <laughs> belt buckle on it. I was so proud of it growing up. There you go. So, so when the motion picture came out, that was, I mean, for people like me who had been kind of steeped in Star Trek, um, we knew um, that it only was coming back because of Star Wars. I mean, there was no, everybody understood that. 
Um, I, I remember following in the um, ancient versions of fan press, um, you know, all the little stories about, oh, we're going to come up with a new Star Trek series. There was, I forget what it was called. There was some phase two. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. The that series was, phase it was something two, yeah. that Roddenberry was trying to get onto TV and you would see little snippets of information about that. And they would just, and then Star Wars came out, huge hit. Everybody wanted to do something with space and there was this franchise. Those of us, the people who I knew, my friends who were really into Star Trek, were, you know, just holding our breath. I mean, th- this was a huge deal for us. And I remember going into that movie theater with a, a, a group of friends and sitting down and just being thrilled to death. And then the movie starts. And as time, as it, you could just feel the air leaving the room. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the moment that it said overture Uh, and you realized this is not Star Wars? Come on. Uh, Opera and Star Trek, they don't go together? Come on. What are you talking about? Yeah. And the overture was not so unusual at that time like it would be now. That's true. That's true. No, no, my first experience with a movie that had overture was um, Lawrence of Arabia. So if somebody was going for a Lawrence of Arabia vibe, I'm cool. No, it 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 was dreadful. And it remained dreadful all the way through. And then it made a shit ton of money. So we got Wrath of Khan. And and then everybody, like, that was like, that was astonishing. It was like everything you could have wanted. And I think it goes right to what you were mm-hmm. saying, Matthew. The characters changed. The needle right. moved. Things actually happened. You know, nobody believed that Spock was going to stay dead. But even if he wasn't, even well, even if you didn't really believe it, the idea that they were willing to play with the pieces that way, that they were willing to make changes, to have them grow old, to have mm-hmm. them to acknowledge mortality, that was thrilling. There was because you just never saw that kind of thing in, in a franchise before then. Even even the much vaunted Star Wars, which I love, don't get me wrong didn't make those kinds of you know leaps or at least they didn't back then we'll see what what happens in you know in the next couple of years so yeah it was it was a very exciting time i i i'm with you too i think uh you know i found the original series and and then you know it was the movies i think that i really fell in love with and and that's kind of who became my kirk that's what became my enterprise was that refit enterprise and you know for me, uh, Star Trek Six was always my favorite movie because um, it has has some some such, such great themes, such great character growth, development, and all that stuff. Really seeing these guys come to the end, you know, and mm-hmm. so it was so great. You know, I just loved it. I think that this makes for a great question to follow up all that because I think in some ways I've I've seen where some of the genesis for the Immortal Coil came from. And, and why you would choose to really want to focus, uh, and for you, this was your first TNG book mm-hmm. on data. Obviously, your love of robots, uh, I think, really comes into play. And he's an android. I know that, folks, so don't write me any letters. Um, but I can understand <laughs> why you would want to do that and do it in the way you do in the book. Now, I do want to give some spoiler alerts. Guys, this book is it's from 2002. It's 10 years old. It's so if okay. you haven't read it yet... Yeah. I am sorry. We're going to spoil it like rotten. So, um, but tell me just about kind of the genesis of the Immortal Coil and what had been flowing around in your head to to kind of put all this out there and and what you and the editors worked on and 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 kind of why this book came out because 
to me, when I'm reading this book now, this was my first time through. I, I just mm-hmm. missed it in the first run, and I'm so glad I got to read it. It seems like a watershed book to me for the character of Data uh, and just the TNG crew. I, I feel like you captured the the emotion of the Enterprise E crew, that they're a different crew. Picard's a little bit different. He's not stuffy like he used to be. He's much more mm-hmm. free-flowing. Everybody seems a little bit looser. Just tell me about uh, you know, coming in and writing this book and – to me, it's a game changer. So, so what led to all that? Well, thanks. Well, in brief, uh, well, I'll I'll try to condense this. I've said this before. Uh, the reason Immortal Coil exists is because of Marco Palmieri. Uh, Marco and I got to know each other uh, back when he was working for DC Comics. That was okay. his gig before um, the working for for um, Simon and Schuster, and I was a freelancer. I did various things for the marketing and promotions department. I wrote articles, blah, 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 blah. And he knew I was also attempting, you know, to get into publishing. Uh, I'd written a bunch of comics for a variety of companies, DC and Dark Horse and, you know, here and there and everywhere. And was ultimately getting to the point where I couldn't really figure out what to do next because I wasn't interested in doing superheroes. And at that time... You know, now I don't know if you guys are comics people or not, but I am. Yeah. Okay. So you know, now there's a wide variety of yes, independent comics, sci-fi comics, fantasy Definitely. comics, mm-hmm. just, just image comics alone, let alone anybody else, Vertigo, mm-hmm. etc. But back in this would have been the late '80s, early '90s, there wasn't nearly as much of this kind of thing, and I was pitching ideas to various publishers. And the comment I kept getting back from them was, I can't publish this. This is not a comic, but it would be a good book. Mm. You know, Yeah. so maybe you should consider that. Um, and I had not ever really thought about that. Uh, and I didn't know anybody or know anything about publishing. And I didn't know anybody except Marco, who had left DC and gone to work for Pocket Books. Uh, so I got in touch with him and said, Marco. I think I'd like to write a novel. This is this is one of those stories <laughs> that I, when I talk to people who are interested, who want to get into writing, they just kind of lay their head down on the desk <laughs> and like cry. Right. <laughs> basically, I just got in touch with Marco and said, "Marco, I'd like to write a book." Pretty good person and to know, said, right? Well, yeah. Except the thing is, is that we were both at a at a really good. It was a great intersection because he was brand new, right, uh, or relatively brand new. And I think was, you know, he was at a point where he could bring new people into the fold. And he said, okay, what are you interested in doing? And I just kind of was like, well, let's see. Um, Next Generation was just ending. I don't think it had, I I think it was over or was near over or they were doing, they had just done Generations. So basically they had that, that status quo set up that they were still all on the ship. You know, everybody was still together. It does. It hadn't moved on into, you know, the stuff that came afterwards. And he said, well, if you were going to do a book, what would you want to do it about? And I was like, well, Data's my favorite character. We've talked about that. I'd like to do a Data story. Okay, he says, great. Well, come up with something. What kind of a Data story would you like to do? And one of the things that had always, I won't say it bugged me, but it always, it was a question mark, was in the original series, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting an android 
or on a computer that thought it wanted to be human right. or a zirconium solid that had been a, i mean there were just all these right. ais everywhere they just they, they they ran into them weekly i think i think it may have had something to do with the fact that one of the writers on the staff or maybe even roddenberry just had a fascination for ais but here comes next generation there's one there's one there's data. That's it. There's nobody else. They never even, until the Borg, and they don't even really count in my opinion, there were no other artificial intelligences. What happened to all of the artificial intelligences? Where did they go? 70 years had gone by. I think by. Kirk killed them all. He talked them he all did. to death. Yeah, yes. He had talked, he them, talked all to death. them all to death. He <laughs> talked them out of it. I mean, really, that's as good an explanation as any I ever heard. So we decided we would do a story about that. And then as soon as we kind of twigged onto that idea, it turned into this, oh, wait a minute, we could bring so-and-so into it. Oh, wait, we could bring Flint into it. But Flint is also Vaslovic. And Vas- do you know who Vaslovic is? Is that like, yes. is, that, is that known lore? I don't even know if it is. The Quester tapes? Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the, the so- comic series? No, 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 no. No, the, the Questor uh, tapes. We actually have an episode on the network about the Questor tapes, I believe, on Commentary okay. Trek Stars. Oh, so if anyone wants to okay. know about it, go check out Commentary Trek Stars and look back one of the Very early good. episodes. So, yeah, we wanted to make, I wanted to bring in that because I saw that TV movie when I was whatever, or yeah. I was 14 or 15, and I just loved it. I mean, it was never made into a series, but it was a fascinating idea. So we just wanted to try and connect all the dots. And Marco is a fiend for that stuff. So he just kept saying, yes, we're going to get the exocomps in there. And um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, M5. That was his thing. He was really enthusiastic about M5. That's awesome. <laughs> so well, we and, just... and how can we forget Wesley's nanites? I mean, oh yeah, no, you can't no, no, forget yes. Wesley's nanites. So. All of it. All of that stuff is out there. So it's, it's so that was the thing is, is that you had in the original series, you had all these AIs, these are androids, these robots or whatever they were. Then you say, well, in Next Generation, Data is the only one. But then when you start, you know, tweezing it apart, you realize, no, he's not the only one. There are all of these other characters that have these um, different characteristics. And the whole the whole fun of it was the um, positing the idea that there was this sort of society that had all decided simultaneously, or they had made this agreement. We're just going to, we're going to bring it down. We're going to be quiet. The Federation, the Klingons, the Cardassians, all these guys are out there. Let's make sure we're not too obvious because, and this goes, uh, maybe this is going back to my old X-Men fascination, they're scared of us. You know, we're different. They say that they want to be inclusive, but how inclusive are they really willing to be? So let's not make life any more difficult than we need to be. Everybody be cool. And that was, that was essentially the origin of the story. You know, these androids all saying, be cool. That, yeah. And that comes across. I think it, it fits really well. It it reminds me of, um, just some of the ways that, um, Chris Bennett does with his temporal investigations mm-hmm. novels where he puts all the time travel pieces together yeah, right. and makes it seem more cohesive. And you really do that with all the AI technologies. I, I thought that that was really neat because it, 
you know, Star Trek is a big universe, but in the end, it's also a really small universe mm -hmm. because we're playing with, you know, 70 some odd characters that all seem to make or break whether the universe explodes or not all the time. <laughs> um, and uh, so it, it's it because of that, it always makes a little bit more sense when all the stuff kind of flows together. And so I love that about this novel is is getting to see all that those ties between the AIs with the way you you know with whether it was all the way back to you know the old ones going all the way to you know the M5 I loved seeing that show up um you know the the connection with where we get data from you know and and who soon knew that kind mm -hmm. of helped him along the way which I thought was great which the only thing we still don't really have answered is what the magic spark is it makes data, so uh, mm. I didn't feel like that part that I got exactly what the spark is that makes him so different, um, which I, I think is cool. I love the mystery. Like, the data is still really special in some ways because Reyna says that about him. You know, you're you're even different than me. Like, soon made you in a way that nobody else has really made you. You're made to be your well, own that person. obviously so. is puppy dog tales. I, yes. I thought that was clear. <laughs> I mean... Really? That, that I, I was, was thinking it was sugar and spice, but yeah, puppy dog uh, tails no, no, makes no, more no. sense for <laughs> yeah, data. I think be, law no. was sugar and spice, right? Yes, yes. But exactly. there wasn't enough sugar in it, no, so the mixture didn't yeah, quite okay. hold. That's what well, it was. Get to the light, fantastic, and that that <laughs> I'm was, that is answered. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm waiting for. So uh, what I loved is that you didn't answer those all those questions. You left it open, but you gave us a lot of great answers, and so. What were some of, and we talked about some of them, but I saw, I felt like a few things in the book, whether it was um, obviously a Sherlock Holmes story, or mm -hmm. I even felt like I felt like there was some Asimov in there, um, and those kind of things. What were some of your other inspirations just in general for the story? I mean, your love of robots and that kind of coming out in the story. What were some of the other things um, that you like to throw in there? Well, we wanted it to be. Uh, we 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 really did want it to be a straight up mystery. Um, I love I love mystery novels. I've always enjoyed them. It's funny you should mention um, Holmes because at the time I don't think I even considered Holmes as a uh, an inspiration. But it, it must be kind of baked in I, 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 in the in, into my you know genetic bread somewhere because. Light Fantastic very much. There's a, a bit of Holmesian, but but even more than that, in terms of the sort of detective um, structure, uh, is the Donald Westlake novel uh, mystery kind of uh, okay. structure. The 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 going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. The detective is not necessarily the smartest person in the room. He's the person who has the most experience solving mysteries. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the beauty of those kinds of novels. And um, I don't know if that necessarily translates into what we did with Immortal Coil, but I think when you get to Light Fantastic, you'll maybe see there is more of that kind of a structure. What else were we thinking? I mean, I'm sorry, this is, has been 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> right. definitely. That's okay. It. I haven't read it in a few years. I guess the other thing that we wanted to do was... Um, work with the idea and this was important to me that data's emotion chip was not something that he would have a choice about anymore mm. um we were wondering earlier wait when did this come out and what did what was it going on at the time and i don't remember if um 
the uh, the Borg movie. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the title of it. Thank you. First Contact had come out yet. I don't think it had, but I do vividly remember that scene where uh, Data's walking along and they're all about to have their first encounter with the Borg on the Enterprise and Data's saying, well, Captain, I'm feeling kind of anxious. And um, Picard says, well, then, Mr. Mr. Data, why don't you turn off your emotion ship? And he goes, okay, yep, right. got it. I hated that. It's well, like... You, I commit. Think you address that in here, right? Because Picard yeah, says, did. "Did I? I can't. Yeah. Yep. I think you're right. Well, I think I did." Yeah. But what Picard says is that, Mister Data, I, I think I may have done you a disservice by telling you to yes. turn that off. And what I yes, like yes, about yes, yes, yes. this idea that he wouldn't have a choice over the emotion ship is is where you go. That I mean, as people, we don't have a choice over our emotions, right? We have to deal with them. And so I think if Data's going to have emotions and he right. wants to strive right. to be human. You have to do that. It has to be a case Deal where he it. doesn't have a choice to just turn it on or off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I remember thinking that was sort of a cheap um, uh, shortcut for, I guess it was Ron Moore and Braga. Was yep. that, were those mm-hmm. the yep. guys? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for them, that was just like, well, we don't want this data. We want the data we had right. back in the series. So we're just going to make him that guy turn it off. We don't. I mean, I guess it's nice that they acknowledge the fact that the emotion ship existed at all. But eh. he doesn't. He if you're going to make progress, if you're going to advance mm-hmm. that character, if you're going to make these changes, commit to them. Don't be, be exactly. brave. Yeah, you know, go with it. Definitely. And I think that's something too that kind of leads into the the next thought I was having about the book is. With those changes, this book is about meta questions. Like, <laughs> Data is struggling with basically, he's fully human now. Like, he he's, he's in, the, in the sense, like, he's having to deal with all the things that we do. He's having to figure out how do you deal with emotions the same way that we do as we're growing up. We know um, he can't just turn them off anymore. He's He's got to figure out what it means to love and to, to live and also come into the fact that he's immortal compared to everybody else who's mortal. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Like there's a ton of these questions about, you know, what it means to be alive and, and what does it mean to even exist? Um, you know, what does that mean for if there's an afterlife, all of this stuff I thought was fantastic. It really brought home to me that this is, you know, these are the kind of things that star Trek is about. And this is what mm-hmm. I had hoped would be more of the things we would have gotten with the character of Data in the series, mm-hmm. but I don't think we really deal with these questions very much, yeah, or, no, or at least enough, or, and deeply enough. And and so I appreciate so much the novels because they have this ability to to create this um, uh, this deep thought process of okay, we've got these characters, we put them in these situations, but what does it actually mean for them, like mm-hmm. and how do they deal with the questions that we would have? And I think that was really cool to see because there's also the big theme of responsibility too. Um, I love that you named the character, Sam. Uh, he turned out to be the bartender for a little while. Yeah. So it was, yes. it, it was like cheers and Casablanca all wrapped up into yep. one. Yep. Uh, so that was fantastic. Um, Casablanca is my favorite movie. So anytime we can work that into Star Trek, it's my favorite. Talk about that a little bit. This, this idea, this theme that kind of runs throughout the book of being responsible for our own actions and actually Ugh. dealing with that. Can we can we get my son coming here? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I know exactly how you feel. How old is your son, Jeffrey? He's he's twenty. Okay, mine's a little bit younger. He's going to be fifteen this year. So I, I, but I know what you're saying. You know exactly. Uh, No, no, no. That that it never ends. It never (laughs) ends. (laughs) You 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 just good to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, no. The the. uh, I mean, um, I I think most most people who know me uh, would say I'm kind of like hyper responsible like maybe more than i need to be in a sense of <laughs> i think that everything okay i'm gonna take care of this is this is this is what it's this is what a writer is as a writer is a person who makes up people to worry about there you go <laughs> that's it that's awesome so um uh it's it, it's you know it's that's that's just a personality trait um, but the idea of responsibility, I think, is one of the central themes of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, um, you guys both are. In, I know one of you is in California, and I'm in, in. I'm in Washington, the, the state. Yep, the state. Okay. Yeah. and I'm and, in Tokyo. Oh my God! It's hideously late. <laughs> no, it's it's eleven forty three a.m. over here right now. Oh, all right. Never mind. Yeah. Fine. Well, well <laughs> say, hi, say hi to Tokyo for me. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the we're we're having um, the shore leave um, convention here in the East Coast a couple of weeks mm-hmm. about a month from now. Okay, yep. And one of the uh, topics that um, we've been talking about has been post-human characters. One of the central philosophies of Star Trek, and I, I think you guys, I would like to hear your comments on this. The central philosophies of Star Trek, the things that divide the heroes from the villains, all comes down to the concept of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. Yes? I mean, it's, it's a theme that runs through all of these stories. Right. The right. villains being the ones who define, who narrowly define what the needs are, in that they say, our needs, the needs of us, maybe we're not as many as you, but what we want is more important than what you want. Khan says... We're better than you. What we want is more important than what everybody else wants. And, and it's this, these, small, these small groups of individuals, cultures, civilizations, the Borg, whatever, all saying, we are better than you. So we, therefore, it doesn't matter that there's more of you than there are of us. Data is a singularity. He's the only one. So he's always in a position of having to try to figure out what am I? What are my responsibilities? What are my needs versus the needs of everyone else? Um, and I think that's. A, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but I've always found that to be the most fascinating thing about him, that he is always, always the only one who is part. He's he's a subculture of one, as far as he knew up until the point I wrote in Mortal Coil, and um, the fact that he's always struggling to try to decide which group do I want to belong to? Am I over here with this little tiny group of me? Am I going to grow up and become one of the humans? He's never going to be a human. He's not a human. He's never going to uh, be part of that group, but he wants to be accepted by them. And what was your question, Matthew? (laughs) I think, yeah. I think mainly, uh, and and I think you're doing a great job of of kind of hitting it on the head, is that, you know, data 
then has to figure out what he wants to be responsible for. Yes. And I think, too, in this book, him kind of realizing that he's going to outlive all the people that he knows. In in some ways, he people might feel like he's their son, but he's starting to feel like he's responsible for them now, I think, in some ways. Because it, right. he, he is better in some ways, and he can protect them in ways that other people couldn't. So all this stuff is kind Correct. of coming together for him, especially with the integration of the emotion chip finally in the way that it should have been done. Uh, the film wise it, it's all coming together for him the thing that always separated him from the humans was he didn't have emotions when they gave him the emotion chip he was not just equal to them but as you say in many ways better but he doesn't necessarily feel like he's superior he just has abilities that they don't and he is in a position where he is no longer everybody's son he's no longer pinocchio he's no longer the bo- the puppet who wants to be a boy he he goes very quickly from being everybody's son to being i don't know well actually i do know because that's what the light fantastic is about that's exactly what it's about it's about being a parent and what does it mean to be a parent and the idea christopher i think you understand this that you think at some point you are the person who is in control. You have some authority about what goes on around you or what goes on with your child until you realize you have no authority. Right. They are independent beings and you have to work out a compromise. Well, we're in that stage right now. And <laughs> I would say that one of us is handling that a little bit better than the other at this point <laughs> in the realm yeah. of parenting. So, yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. you mean. It's- it's very complex. Yeah, so so the idea that Data was um, somebody who became hyper-responsible, the other thing about him, though, that is, is that he embraced the idea of the rules of Starfleet. Yeah. He, in, he encompasses those rules. Uh, he is an encyclopedia of those rules. So that as long as he has those rules to work with, he's fine. I think what's really interesting about him is in more in Immortal Coil is the first place he start he starts to go outside those rules, and I think David Mack picked up on a lot of those ideas yep, and and continued on with them, um, and I'm eternally grateful to him <laughs> for bringing data back into uh, this universe. Yeah. Well, something that. Uh, happened for me in this book and we talked about a, uh, it a little bit on the other side of the page before we were recording I'm unpopular in the sense that Data has not ever been anywhere close to being my favorite character mm-hmm. I always just kind of found him obnoxious and I think it's just because of some of the things we talked about in this, in, in this show here with you is that I just don't think it was well written much of the time I don't think they really explored what they could have explored yeah, with yeah. Data and the questions they should have been asking with him and and, you know, especially in the films, he just got to be obnoxious as well because the movies were always about him, but he wasn't ever actually going anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like the same story over and over again. I was like, can I please see a story with like, you know, anybody else but Data and Picard? Maybe Riker yeah. or Crusher or anybody? Right. Yeah. And so for the first time reading this book, I actually fell in love with the character of Data. And I think it's because... um the ramification of what it meant to actually be an AI, like, and how strong data is, how quick he is, how he processes things. 
Um, it was a lot like the when they finally told you that Dr. Bashir was a genius, like mm-hmm. a genetically engineered genius, mm-hmm. and he could start showing off. Right. And they weren't afraid to show you that he could show off. Well, they were always afraid yep. to have data show off most of the time, except when he needed to do something really fast. And and they couldn't show, I don't think, that his strength or all the, just the different ways. This is what I loved about the book is because you weren't afraid to, to do that. One, maybe it's a little easier to do in a novel form because you can do whatever you want. You can have them ripping yeah, the whole of the ship off. Yeah, you can work with internal off. monologue, yeah. But uh, two, just talk about that a little bit of, of kind of – pushing the boundaries of what we knew data to be, but what he can actually do when you sit down and kind of think about, okay, he's an Android. He's Mm. not a human being. So what does that actually mean? Um, Well, I mean, I think, you know, in defense of the TV show and of the movies, they were working with a fairly limited special effects budget a lot of the time. So it was very difficult to show data doing anything that, went beyond what a human actor could do. I do remember in First Contact that wonderful scene near the beginning of the film where um, they're in the missile silo. And um, oh, I, I don't remember the character's name, uh, but she was shooting at them with a machine gun. Lily. And, Lily. Yeah. Yeah. Lily, thank you. And And he says, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> he jumps. He just goes, boom. And it's just, a fabulous scene because it's like this is what this guy can do right and they didn't they didn't they weren't quite so limited by what the 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 budget was so yes absolutely writing him and working with that internal monologue really makes it a lot easier in a lot of ways now i confess i did not read a lot of the tng novels before mine that featured data heavily. I knew I read a bunch of them that he was a, you know, he was there, but they were typically books where Picard was the lead and that were Riker, you know, whatever. I don't remember there being a lot of novels um, other than David's where they where the writer really focused on what can an Android do that a human being couldn't do. And, and David did that beautifully in uh, uh, cold equations. That was just yep. gorgeous. In fact, I ripped off a lot of that stuff. So, um, <laughs> in in Life Fantastic, but um, I I think I mean the the, the beauty of being able to do uh, uh, the the long form novel and capturing that is is that you can do the internal monologue. What is he experiencing? You can slow down time. You can show how what you and I as you know limited human beings are experiencing is so different from what they do because it's just that whole, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a trite example, but that whole kind of bullet time matrix. Definitely. Yeah. Thing that's data can do that anytime he wants. He just can slow everything down and, and can see into things that you and I can't even imagine. Uh, I really wanted to capture that. I think that part of the reason I was able to do some of those things is because of my fondness for, uh, comics um you know in in superman stories since the beginning of time that's always been one of the tenets that he is that that he can do Mm -hmm. and here i mean here's here's an idea that maybe we can talk about you know data is a superhero he's he's as close as we're gonna ever get he just has this sort of modest clark kent exterior he's clark kent and superman 
sort of folded into, you know, one persona. He's mild mannered and modest and, you know, everybody loves him. But if you need somebody to stand in front of a speeding bullet, he's your guy. Well, I understand Data was originally going to wear a cape on the show, but Picard thought it would make the rest of the crew feel uncomfortable, and Riker felt a little bit threatened by the manliness of it, the the super strength of Data, and so they asked him not to do it. Mm. They watched The Incredibles and learned, no capes. No capes. Exactly. What happens when you have capes? Uh, No, I think think that's really true, and and I think that was what was great about the book, is is Data becoming okay with what he can do and being himself not just being human and i love the very end of the book when Rhea tells him you know i know you want to be human that's 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 your biggest desire but i think maybe you could be more and i think that's okay yeah which is what i wanted for him yeah exactly and i think that's really great talk a little bit just before we kind of wrap up but i i liked the characterizations of everybody else i i loved the um that you kind of started to put together the fact that you know, look, Crusher and Picard are a little bit more than we all think they are in this book, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that, um, you know, the, the, the entire crew kind of talks about it behind their back, basically. Um, you know, uh, Riker and, and, and Troy were, were, were closer in this book. I, I loved, um, seeing Jordy actually have some fun things to do in his, um, quips back and forth with one data talking about women which is not his subject uh and then even just um the way he and picard acted i just liked the characterization talk about kind of i guess writing this crew especially in this you know it's set in the dominion war we don't yeah. see the the enterprise e in the dominion war unfortunately except in net, uh insurrection when it's doing a yeah. ridiculous boring mission yeah so this is actually kind of a big deal just talk about writing the this crew as opposed to kind of having them in the you know the series setting where everything's a little stiffer. Um, I just wanted everybody to have fun. You know uh, the the uh, the thing about the whole uh, the actors at the on their best days I think were always ready to have fun with those characters. The problem was is that the writers didn't always give them a lot of opportunities. <laughs> when <Sure>. they did, <laughs> um, they they performed beautifully, all of them. Um, um, I was wa- I watched All Good Things recently. I don't know why. I was I was working on something anyway. I watched the the last episode a little while ago, which I think is like the most relaxed and loosest. All of those characters were. The actors yeah. were, yeah, um, because they had really good stuff to do, yeah. and yeah, that definitely. scene, and that scene in the middle of the episode, that's set in the in the in the future, where Jordy is walking through the the vineyard, and he's tying, and he's like asking, "Oh, you want me to tie up some you know vines with you?" Uh, Lavar Burton in that scene, he was so relaxed and so funny, and I always felt like these characters are charming people. They are all charming people. And most of the time, they don't get the opportunity to express that in the episodes. You know, they did sometimes, but but a lot of the time, because we're always talking about crisis situations, et cetera, you know, the fate of the universe, et cetera. We don't get to see that. Staff meetings. Staff meeting. <laughs> oh my God, staff. Meeting. Yes. 
you don't get a chance to express that. Yeah. And 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 what I like to do with the the you know when I get the opportunity in these books is show some of the other stuff that goes on. The stuff that they're not going to show in the TV series. Maybe if they did this the uh, a series like Star Trek, you know, now you would get a little bit more of that, but that's not how TV was written back then. Right. So yeah, I I wanted to do all of the I wanted to write all of those little moments that you didn't get to see in the tv show or in mm. the movies because they're they're fun and mm. it's what i would want to yeah. see uh so yeah definitely i don't think that i think that that really shines through and, and for me you know the, the being the first time that that i had gone through this book so it was is very fresh it it, it was i i think a, a watershed moment in in kind of like um the the, the trek lit of seeing where it was going to go um and and where it has gone with with so many great um stories that we've had in the last you know 10 years have been so good from the deep space nine relaunch all the way through to where we are now great continuity great use of characters for the most part great writers um i mean uh uh, and I think that speaks to the editors. You know, you were talking mm-hmm. about Marco, Margaret, and all these people, Ed Schlesinger, coming up and, and picking people who, one, for the most part, really know how to write, but also really know how to write Star Trek characters mm-hmm. and kind of uh, have great ideas. So I think it's really helped, um, and it's created a great sense of discovery for me uh, and, and being able to still discover characters that... I do know so much about that make me want to keep coming back and, you know, buying the book, the next one, you know, that's, that speaks for good writers. So uh, I really appreciated this and I'm super excited because we are going to be having you back to talk about the light. Fantastic, which just came out this week. Mm -hmm. So for you though, you know, let our listeners know what else is out there that people need to be finding out that you've been doing. Um, What's on the horizon for you, any other Star Trek books or anything else that we need to know about. And then of course, where can the listeners find you on the interwebs? Well, besides um, Immortal Coil, I have about, I don't know, four or five other Star Trek books out there. There's um, Section 31, The Abyss, mm-hmm. uh, which yep. I um, we co-wrote with David Weddle of mm-hmm. um, Battlestar Galactica and, I don't know, other fame. He was one of the staff writers on DS9. Mm-hmm. We've done that book on the show here before, actually. Yep. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yep. Um, and then there was the um, Left Hand of Destiny, the the Klingon two-parter that I did. Oh, with, yeah, with J.G. Uh, Hertzler. Yep. Great series. I enjoyed that one a lot. Thanks. Um, there was the Voyager trilogy that I did with um, Kirsten Bear mm-hmm. and uh, Heather Jarman. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and a bunch of little short stories here and there. So there's that stuff. We've got Life Fantastic, of course. I just pitched, I just sent in a plot outline to Margaret for a DS9 uh, book, which I, okay. I don't know exactly. I mean, we don't, I don't know if this, this is not a, uh, this is not a lock or anything, but I hope it comes out. Uh, it's going to be my version of a 1980s buddy adventure book featuring miles o'brien and nog okay so this this is finally matthew this is finally what we've been waiting here on the network for so long this is bosom buddies finally in star trek exactly bosom buddies in star trek on deep space nine awesome that's exactly what it is 
Um, it, 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 if it comes to fruition, it's Nog and O'Brien. You know, they're they're engineers. They're 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 cops. They don't like each other. I mean, whatever. They 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 have a <laughs> wacky adventure together. Um, uh, it's it's it, it's it's one of those things that kind of came about as somebody saying to me, "You should write a book about blah 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 blah," and it just kept going from iteration to iteration to iteration, so that now it no longer resembles anything. <laughs> like what it started out to be, but I'm actually kind of happy with where it landed. The whole, the whole um, Deep Space Nine, um, Mishagoth thing got so complicated. Yeah. Uh, since you know we rebooted it back in mm-hmm. you know the, the the early days of season eight, um, and I just thought somebody needs to do a one-off. Somebody needs to do a show, an episode, or a story about just a couple of characters off having an adventure. So that's hopefully what this is going to be. Excellent. Um, I'm. I, I've I've talked about this on a, a couple of occasions in other forums. Uh, I have an original novel that I'm really keen on finding somebody who wants to publish it. <laughs> um, hopefully, this will all go towards um, helping that happen. Uh, I'm, I'm very, you know, I, I would very much like to uh, get this other, you know, book into people's hands and see what they think of it. It's, it's great to be a writer. It's great to sit in your office and come up with new ideas. And it's even better when you hear what people think of them. Yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. So that's something I'm, I'm working on. Hopefully that'll all come together in the not too distant future. As for where you can find me on the interwebs, um, I am kind of uh, not so good at this thing in the interwebs. Uh, I do, I have, you can find me on Facebook. I have a blog that you can find through my Facebook account. The name of it is um, Hurting Cats. Uh, if awesome. you Google, I saw that. If you Google Jeff Lang, Hurting Cats, um, I can't say as I'm the most prolific in the sense of multiple posts, but I do. The reason I started doing the blog was because I, and I, I don't want to insult anybody. I hate Twitter. I hate it. I hate Twitter. <laughs> That's understandable. I, I get it. Uh, 140 characters is not enough to say anything. Oh, but, and, but, but Jeffrey, you're supposed to state all of your extremely opinionated arguments in 140 characters. <laughs> Come on. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, right. I, I was I, I, I was trained to be an essayist. So yes. I get a I have a blog, I get to write essays yeah. and I enjoy it. So come find me there. I'm witty and entertaining and charming. Enjoy. And I do have a Twitter <laughs> account and I couldn't tell you what it is because I don't pay any attention to it. (laughs) So there, whatever the next thing that comes after Twitter, maybe I'll pay attention to that. But I understand. Well, uh, and you also, um, you are on Facebook as well, correct? Yes. And please, please come on and say hi, you know, friend me. It's, it's my personal account and my, uh, I know I should probably have a writer account and a personal account, but eh whatever we're all good friends here and if you don't mind 
me occasionally talking about my cats and my dog and my <laughs> books, fine. We're all good. Well, Jeff, I'm I'm so excited that we got to have you on the show. Um, I, you know, personally, again, I I really did. I I loved Immortal Coil. I'm so excited to be reading Light Fantastic soon, so that we can jump in and and talk about that in a few weeks. So, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, it means the world to us to have the authors come on the show because you guys are the ones that uh, you know you give us. Our, our universe, you know, especially since this is the only place we get to, to, to have the 24th century universe anymore and these characters. It's so much fun to have you guys writing these books and, and giving us new adventures. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we love doing it. So it's it's wonderful having opportunities like this to talk with you guys and, and hear what you think. And so we're thrilled. And thank you so much for doing this. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And looking forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. I am, Light I'm, Fantastic. I am very stoked about Light Fantastic. Yeah. I, 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 I'm glad you liked Immortal Coil. I think this one's even better. Awesome. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Well, Matthew, that was a great discussion with Jeffrey there. And we did talk quite a bit about the genesis of the book, but I also really enjoyed our general Star Trek talk. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I was really excited to get Jeff on the show. Um, what a great guy and an and excellent book. I'm so excited uh, again uh, to be reading The Light Fantastic soon and be having him back. Uh, and really do hope as well that he will be writing more Star Trek books because you know, we've we've talked about Abyss on the show. We both enjoyed that book. Um, I enjoyed his duology he did with J.G. Hertzler um, with the series about Martok, which I thought was great, and the Deep Space Nine relaunch. And so um, excellent stuff that he's written for Star Trek, and I hope to see more of him. Definitely, and looking forward to having him back in a couple of weeks to talk about The Light Fantastic. But The Immortal Coil isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week, so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. With the Slushoverse, a lot of people are wondering, is JJ going to stick Slusho into Star Wars? <gasps> Earl Grey. It's like Leroy Jenkins, you know, he comes running in. <laughs> Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the Enterprise! <laughs> Enterprise! <laughs> the orb. But the, here's the thing, they put themselves in a box with Dax. It's such a cool sci-fi concept to say that the symbiont is the 300-year-old slug and the outer host body, you know, they're, they're mixed together. And that the, the host changes from the... The ready room. Because, I mean, what's the alternative if you're, if you're not going to do what, what Chris just suggested? I mean, what's it going to do? Get down on his knees and say, oh, Emissary, I'm with you now? I mean, <laughs> right, that's right. not really going to work either, right? So Allow me to, to ride my flaming chariot back to Starfleet. To the journey! I am genuinely excited for this week's episode because we are doing a commentary on Threshold. Yes, you heard that right. Threshold, the infamous episode that everybody loves to hate, but I love to love it. Warp 5. But the fact that they had been in so many other shows before, that they literally were pulling footage from Voyager to help flesh out that episode, I think it's sort of like, it's a it's an Easter egg and it's a theme and it's also literally pulling out of another show. Commentary, Trek Stars. 
I feel like he always had the sense that the younger generation had a, a much clearer sense of what the future was going to be like than than sort of the, the previous one. Melodic tracks. And his theme come on, and I just thought brilliantly tied in with the original series because these were the original series characters, but it was giving it a movie feel. And he just did a brilliant job on his composition. Continuing mission. We have had long discussions in the office about how we can get an appropriate chair sitting simulator into the game. Unfortunately, that's such a specific system that would really only be used by Riker. Literary tricks. And then she leads him back to her place and says, Welcome back to my place. It's a good place to be together. And Kirk says, Together is good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. We're also on BlackBerry and Swell and we're on SoundCloud. And check us out. You know, search for Trek.fm and Literary Treks or whatever show you want to listen to and you'll find us there. And of course, you can stream from our website as well and grab the RSS link if you use the third-party podcatching application. We'd also like to take a moment and thank Apple for making us the featured network for their This Week On section on the podcast's Woo-hoo! front page this week. <laughs> See, Matthew, you go away for a few weeks, you come back, and we're featured. I know. I'm gone for a while, and everybody gets delusions of grandeur. <laughs> Colin said the same thing. He went on his holiday at the same time that you were moving, and he came back as well and found the, the same situation. Yeah, seriously, what a great surprise to come back to. Uh, I was so excited to see that. So, yeah, thank you so much, Apple. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, we're really honored to be featured there. All 16 of our shows are right there on the front page of the podcast section. So please check out our other shows. If you're finding Literary Treks for the first time as a result of this, we have shows covering all the series as well as music and science. Of course, our books and comics show is what you've just listened to. And we talk about the creative beyond Star Trek and all sorts of things. So check all those out. And thanks again to Apple for giving us that recognition. And thanks everyone who's listening, because it's thanks to you that we got that attention from Apple in the first place. You've really helped us to grow our shows. And we really appreciate you tuning in every single week. One more thing I want to tell you about here as we close out the show is a special promotion that we're doing from now through July 31st. Reviews are very important to us here on the network, and it's not just because we love hearing from you and what you think about the show, which of course we do, but also those reviews help us rise up in the iTunes store so that other Star Trek fans who don't know about us, which is almost every Star Trek fan, very few people know we exist, they can find our shows and they can also enjoy the content that we produce every week. Now, we know that you listen to podcasts when you're exercising or working or driving or doing all sorts of other things where you're not at a keyboard. And it does take some extra effort for you to come back and go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. So we want to give you some incentive to do that and offer you some great prizes. Every time you review one of our shows on iTunes or Stitcher between now and July 31st, you will receive an entry into a prize drawing. And we've got some great prizes lined up for you. You can get a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice. Also, a Star Trek novel of your choice. Official Starships collection ship from Japan, where I am with the magazine in Japanese. That's a nice collectible. 
and a full collection of our alien art badges, and we may add other prizes over the course of the month. So keep an eye on our social media and our website to find out if anything new is added. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st. So right there to midnight for you, Matthew. Yes, but Chris, you just told me I can't enter. That's right. You're not eligible because you are a Trek FM host. This is for our listeners, Matthew. Oh, okay. All right. But all you need to do is to leave us a rating and a written review on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you listen to us on iTunes, review us there. If you listen to us only on Stitcher, review us there. Either is fine or you can do both. Every review you leave will get you an entry in the drawing. Of course, you can only review each show one time, but you can review multiple shows. Now, it does need to be a written review, not just a star rating, because we have no way of knowing who leaves a star rating, and we do need to be able to connect you with your review. So there are two steps in entering. First is to leave the review on iTunes and or Stitcher, and the second is to visit trek.fm slash review and complete the form that you'll find on that page. You'll be asked to give us just some basic information about who you are, which shows you reviewed, and where you reviewed them, so that we can match you up to your reviews, so we can get in touch with you if you win, and so we can thank you for sharing your thoughts on the show. Again, this runs until July 31st, midnight Pacific time, and we're really looking forward to hearing from you and getting some prizes out to you. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts with us on today's show, on the Immortal Coil, or anything else that we talked about, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, and fill out the form. That comes to both Matthew and me by email. We're also on Twitter. Our username is trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm, Google Plus, we have a community, just search trek.fm, and we have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can even send us a voicemail through the website. So many ways for you to get in touch with us, and we would love to hear from you. Now, Matthew, when you're not planning your next big move across the country, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. And then, of course, you can find me as well doing a show called The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. Um, We talk about that every week, Chris. And so you can join us there if you're a big fan of Deep Space Nine, or if you just need to be convinced that Deep Space Nine is the best (laughs) Star Trek series. And then lastly, too, Chris, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not out there just on the streets like uh, a proselytizing evangelist trying to get people to watch more Deep Space Nine (laughs) and read more Star Trek books, where can we find you? I see your drones are operational and they're flying around over my city now. (laughs) (laughs) You've seen what I've been doing. Oh, goodness. You can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. I have my own website as well, cbrianjones.com. And then I do a bunch of other shows on the network, The Orb with Matthew. I also do Warp 5, Matter Stream, Continuing Mission, The Ready Room, and Hyper Channel, which is our new show. So I share some Star Trek news with you each day. So check all of those out if you'd like to find out what else I'm talking about. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you of one last thing, and that's our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. 
You can pick up Vulcan's Forge or any other book that you like absolutely free just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose. But when you try Audible, the money we receive from them really does help us keep literary treks coming to you every single week. So that simple act on your part really means a lot to us. Plus, you're going to be getting great audiobooks every single month. So try it out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.